question is going to be. Uh, my name is Steve Eckert, uh, Stephen with a PH, named after St. Stephen. Um, I live in Bellevue. I'm married. I have two kids that are adults, uh, 24 and 21, a, a girl, Gretchen, and boy, Max. Um, I work in marketing. Uh, I grew up in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, way out across the world in Peters Township um, at what was Hope Lutheran, but I guess Hope wasn't good enough. They changed the name to Peace. Um, so I grew up there, uh, confirmed there, um, and then I've been in other churches throughout my married life, but uh, uh, started watching um, the online during the pandemic and then decided to, to come and, and visit here. So, Question. I'll cede my time. Yeah, I was going to say, if you, if you need some time to come up with your questions since I just put you on the spot there, that's fine. I'm Vicki Wiggins, and I'm already a member, and I even taught Sunday school here for a few years, but I was not raised a Lutheran, and so I feel like I'm not familiar with the Lutheran doctrine. So that's my question, is what's special about being a Lutheran, and I think I need some education in that. Um, I was raised as a Presbyterian. My grandparents were in Pittsburgh um, on the north side of, in Brighton Heights, so I went to church there. And then when I was in high school, because of friends, I branched off and became a Baptist, and I went out to the Midwest with them. And, I, you know, I really have a, a strange background. And then I married a Lutheran, and he brought yeah, me it's over into this world. Yeah, welcome, Patty. Come on in. Thank you. I mean, I'm going to grab a coffee, if you don't want. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is it my turn? Yeah, it's your turn. Sophomore at North Allegheny. I was confirmed two years ago. I've been here forever. I wasn't baptized here though. But I was her Sunday school. Yeah, she was my Sunday school teacher. Were you baptized at uh, St. Matthew's? I think so. Okay. Um, did your granddad do it? Your grandfather? No, I think it was a He did so many Sundays. Yeah, I think he did. Oh, yeah, my mom's side. It's like a lineage of pastors. Um, and Lutherans. And Lutherans, yeah. So my my dad's side was all Catholic, so we're now Christian Lutheran. Um, I didn't know that. Just, yeah. Check. I didn't know I'm the youngest of two sisters. My, to my oldest sister lives in Chicago, and my middle sister um, goes to Duquesne. So they'll come here a couple times. Grace and Claire. Um, that's kind of... <laughs> what was your question? I have no idea. <laughs> we'll come back to you. Yeah. Think of a question. We keep keeping up the accolade schedule, so that's... Oh, yeah. I, I, accolade, I, I accolade a couple times. I got you a couple more years, I think. Right? <laughs> good. Um, Allison Hoslick. Um, <clears throat> I'm the secretary here, and uh, um, gosh, it'll be almost a year. Next month? Wow. That's great. It is, yeah. That's right. Finally feeling like I know what I'm doing. That's a good thing. <laughs> so I, uh, my background is Catholic. I was um, uh, born and raised um, in and out, really, of the um, the Catholic schools. My mom really couldn't de decide whether to let me go to public school or Catholic. So it was first and second grade public, third grade Catholic, fourth, fifth, sixth Catholic, seventh, eighth public, ninth, tenth Catholic. <laughs> oh, so <laughs> <back> <laughs> 
wonder if I'm a little goofy. Right here. <laughs> you got everything covered. Oh, there the base is covered. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, but, you know, um, um, if you could like fill this out for like our database information. And then we're just going around introducing ourselves. It's my understanding that the difference between how how we ended up here church wise and then and then one question that you want to make sure is answered. It's not up to me to get myself up there. Thank God, because I'd be in trouble. So I do understand that that's one of the key components differences, rather. And I definitely want to explore more because I, Pastor, I was asking him about um, Reformation Day and almost wore red today, but the dress looks stupid. So, I, <laughs> you know, um, I started to um, read up on Martin Luther, and it's like, I just think God's timing is amazing, and I think that He's got me here for a reason. And um, my question is, what that's going to be, and when that's going to be revealed um, in His timing. But in the meantime, I'm just going to like buckle down and try and learn as much as I can. So you have a question that you want to have answered in this class? Um, I don't, did I have a question in there? I don't know. I'm not. <laughs> well, your question was sort of, why am I here? But I don't know if I can answer that. <laughs> I think that's more in his, his yeah, answer. That's, that's a question yeah, for him. Yeah, I was kind of asking, you know. But on behalf of him, what do you think now? <laughs> um, what is the difference between... Well, I can, yeah, I mean, I can, I can work yeah, with that, actually. Yeah. It is a good question. That's I a good question. Thank you. And you mean that, like, here at a... Well, here's the thing, too, because I guess um, there's so many different um, sects of the Protestant. Oh, there are. Yeah. Right? And, and and that's... We've talked about that. I'm trying to figure out, well, why am I here? Not at a Southern Baptist church. Being, uh, so, North Dickie's North. got that one covered. We'll, we'll cover some of that. <laughs> so that's about it. Yeah. Very good. Well, welcome. Thank you. Who are you? Yeah, I'm Janet Seitz. I was raised Lutheran my whole life. I went to St. Matthew's down on the north side. Um, I was there for over 60 years. <laughs> then we come here. And um, How long have you been here? 13, 14, somewhere around here. And uh, I like it. We're going to keep them a little bit. <laughs> I was on console when he was... <laughs> no, no. Uh, we really like it here, so. <laughs> Very good. Question? Uh, no, I've just kind of come as a refresher course because I there was confirmed when I was 12. <laughs> it's been a while since. I mean, I did I did get that catechism. i got to find it, though. Okay. <laughs> I looked for it this morning. and uh, I have my old one from the 60s. Okay. It's kind of fun. What did apart. I forget, maybe? <laughs> What did, he, well, what did I forget? Yeah, what did your question. Yeah. What did I forget? <laughs> well, there's a, I know there's a lot of people with questions about the Missouri Synod. That's like, we're kind of strict. <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of people in the Missouri Synod that have questions about the right, Missouri Synod. Right. Yeah. That's one of the reasons that I encourage the refresher thing for that exact reason is... Because of our format, many people are going off of what they learned when they were 12, even when they're fully adult. Right. So. Okay. Um, Diana? Yeah. Okay. Um, I have a question. Yeah. <laughs> it was just sort of a little brief overview of oh, okay. how you got here and then a question um, that you want to Actually, answer. we attended this church 
many years ago for about five years and then went back to the church thank you in Sunday school uh, or grade school um, I was raised in the Catholic Church and uh, the Lutheran Church seemed to be a really good fit for us um, though we, we took some time to go to a lot of different churches um, anything else what question well this you is, have two sons. Oh, two sons. Yeah, they're grown 36, or I, I forget how old they are. <laughs> 32. One One's just turned, married. Uh, one's he, married. And uh, he lives in. Um, he lives by. Uh, in, uh, he lives in Avalon. Avalon. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just bought a home there a couple years ago. We both have three brothers. And we both have yeah. three yeah. brothers. And uh, we both start off Catholic. Yeah. We have a lot of the same history. Yeah. <coughs> We do. Diana answered the question. The question we no, I just didn't. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I couldn't think I of I think one. the Missouri um, Senate question is good. How, you know, are they a more liberal church or, or mm, okay. they came from a very, very strict church, Lutheran church. So, you know, where do they stand between the uh, Elka and the, uh, the Wells? Kind of in the middle. And I don't even know what that is. Okay. <laughs> that's how little knowledge I have. So, so in, this con in, the, in the context of this class, if we use the terms liberal or conservative, that's going to refer to biblical approach. Yeah, that's... Not uh, political. Although there is some... Not so they're not totally disconnected, but um, just so there's not confusion about that. But that's a great question. And it's always good to, to be honest, like, don't ever feel like you're asking a dumb question in this class because one of the mistakes that pastors make a lot, including myself, is assuming people know things that they don't necessarily know. Because um, it, it is difficult to step outside of your own experience and what you know um, at times and, and understand that, like, not everybody got that. And so something that you are familiar with, they, it's not that they couldn't understand it, they just never encountered it. You know? So they don't know it. Um, so... Um, all right, very good. We've got some good questions here. Mine's, what's changed since 1992? What's changed since 1992? That was, yeah. What was 1992? Uh, well, a lot of things happened in 1992, but I got married and then went to different churches, not Lutheran anymore. Oh, okay, so. okay. And Patricia, you're going to introduce yourself. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to start with what my question is first because okay. I forget about that. So I, I moved to Erie in September of last year, and I'd lived in Pittsburgh for 30 years in the South Hills. But a lot of times I found my jobs in the beginning were all in the North Hills and was mm -hmm. commuting. So I ended up leaving those and taking jobs in the South Hills, which had less need for musicians. And so um, prior to COVID, I started doing a lot of my music work in nursing homes, retirement homes, just playing for the elderly. But then, of course, that all stopped with COVID. Mm -hmm. And so um, just kind of reevaluating my life. I didn't really love where I was living, so I just moved to Erie because I loved Erie in the summer. And I took a Catholic church job up there, which was nowhere near the house I bought, so I ended up leaving that Catholic church job. <laughs> and um, I've been working at Burger King as a prep cook for it because it's right across the street. And I've been working at Penn State Barron up there because they needed a choir accompanist. So those have been my primary jobs up there. Um, and all the while, 
Yeah, and I got my wonderful little house I always wanted that I couldn't find around here because there's no ranches in the South Hills. So then I thought, you know, I really don't feel like I want to be here all the time because I didn't feel like my mother's, my family's still in Johnstown, my older part of my family, and it was hard being a church musician up there. I was playing in a nursing home up there, their mass, and couldn't get home enough to see her. So I thought, I'm going to find a church up closer to home. And the priest up there that I was playing the mass for totally understood. So then I started looking around. I thought, hmm, I don't know if this is an old listing or a new listing when I saw your listing. And I called and found out from Allison that it was still a listing. And, um, and then I did the interview, and I told them I couldn't start until October because I was playing a musical, and I, I kind of wrote you guys off because I thought, it's too long, too far away. <laughs> and then you called me, and I thought, oh, this yeah. is wonderful. So, so where are you living now? So I have my house in Erie. I will drive back right after this. I've been no. commuting with rental cars. Um, I've been trying as much as possible to do a one-day rental, but on the days I have two, I go see my mom in Johnstown. Um, but I fortunately live by the Erie Erie Airport, which is the only rental car place that's open on Sundays out in Erie, so oh, I can works. drop it off. And um, I and rescue you, dogs, so my, my girl who takes me there, she lives really close to the airport, so I, my car is parked at her house right now, and she takes me to the airport, so we both rescue dogs. Uh, I met her because she used to be my next-door neighbor, but then she moved in, into a comma, so this house I bought... Next door neighbor was a dog rescue person like myself. The house I bought, all musicians, never had a TV in the house. They're like, of course you have to have the house. And I moved across from a Lutheran church, which is when I'm not playing mass, I go to that Lutheran church. And I don't know if it's Missouri Synod or what it is, but they do a blended service. And my question is, I'm not sure what the differences in the Lutheran services are. Sure. Sure. So you're commuting to do this music work. But then I'm moving in December to 19 North. I thought, you know what, I'm getting an apartment for a year because my mom's too much for my sister anymore, so she can stay with me sometimes. Um, What's 19 North? That's an apartment complex. It's actually in Ellison Park, Buccanus. Oh, that's really close by. Yeah. That's wonderful. So I got approved on my current income (laughs) for that. (laughs) Very good. Well, welcome. May I show one commonality that she and I just found out about each other? I gave her a hug. I've been, you know, yeah. and I looked at her and I said, "In person, yeah, this is the first time I'm meeting her." She goes, "What's your background? Like, what's your nationality?" I said, "Well, I'm half Lebanese and half Slovak, and you're." I'm Lebanese, so isn't that bizarre? And we both love dogs. Very fun. Well, thank you for the introductions. Uh, welcome uh, to Ascension's uh, new member class. Um, we're gonna. So one of the reasons that even though some of you have mentioned going to Lutheran churches in the past, um, one of the reasons that I'm still wanting you to do this is not only um, if you've been out of the game for a while, things get rusty or forgotten, or uh, maybe they were never taught, depending on what church you went to, and two, Ascension is its own place as well, so part of what you're going to be learning throughout the class isn't just the doctrinal stuff, although that will be the main focus, um, because this really is kind of a good summary question of why we even have a new member class. Um, there are some things that we do that you either have observed while you've been here or uh, aren't aware of that separate us from other Christian churches, uh, and we think while sometimes they seem not to be like a large difference that we believe that they are worth maintaining because they are um, important to our understanding of salvation and faith and all that stuff. So what we, of course, will be learning about all that, but you're also going to be learning about 
what it's like to be a Lutheran church, like what is your relationship with the pastor, what can you expect from me, um, and how does that work, um, as well as some, about, some information about the governance of the congregation and how all of that is set up and why, um, and, and some of the unique things here at the church. So, um, so on behalf of Essential Lutheran Church, welcome. Um, formally, I know some of you guys have been here many, many weeks already, but, um, but, we're, but we're going to uh, start there. Um, okay, so just to give a kind of brief introduction to the class and what you're going to need. So uh, you'll need a small catechism. Now, some of you guys have these, some of you don't. If you don't have one, I'm going to be sending an email to everybody, including those who aren't here today, um, asking about this because we'll order these for you if you don't have one because we're going to be using it as a reference for a lot of our discussion on the doctrine stuff. Um, and this is Luther's small catechism. So, um, and I always have to clarify, especially for, for new people, they say, well, if that's the small catechism, <laughs> what is the large catechism like? Um, but the small catechism is only like this much of it, this top part. That's the small catechism. The rest is explanation of it. So the back of the, the, back of the book is going to give you uh, more in-depth answers and then all of the scriptural support for why we're saying the things we're saying. Right? Um, and so that's, kind of, that's one of the things we're going to be using. And then, of course, uh, a Bible. Um, so if you, if you don't have a Bible, let me know. And we will also, um, if a church can't get you a Bible, I don't know who can. Um, so if you do need a, a, a Bible, let us know, and, and we'll, we'll definitely get one for you. Uh, if you already have one that you use, that you've marked up and all that, bring that with you uh, when you come to class, because um, we're also obviously going to be in the Word. Okay. So those are the two basic things there. We've got some composition books here that uh, have just been left over in the office. So if you're a note taker uh, and you like to do that, that's great. You can use that. Um, there, there aren't going to be any exams or anything um, at the end of all of this. Uh, one of the benefits for the addition of the catechism that we get you is it does have uh, notation for the margins. So it's a journal edition, so you can take all your notes in the book itself if you want. Um, so you can do that as well. Okay, so this class is going to be 12 weeks. Um, we have a few weeks off in between. I'll always let you know. Um, so like in two weeks from today, we won't be meeting because we have a congregational meeting. And so on Sundays with, with congregational meeting, we don't have Sunday school or Bible class um, because people are going to the meeting. I guess in the past, they tried to still do all that and it was just, it was too much. Um, so, so we do 12 weeks uh, and that will end up being done on um, February 19th. So that will be when this class is over. And then on February 26th, and I want you to take out your calendars or however you notate important dates, mark February 26th. That's going to be New Member Sunday. Okay. Um, so if at the end of this you decide to join, uh, join us here at Ascension Lutheran Church, we're going to be doing the formal ceremony in the service and the welcome on February 26th. So um, what I want you to think of that as is that will be your equivalent of a Confirmation Sunday. So I want you to make sure that, like, I can't make you come, but I'm going to encourage you as much as I can that, like, whatever else comes up on that day, you tell them, sorry, I've got a prior engagement, okay? 
Um, invite your family if, if uh, and, and all of that. You know, it's a big deal. It's a it's a celebratory thing. You're you're you found a church home uh, if that's where you end up, and um, and we're happy to welcome you into into that with us. Uh, yeah. Uh, like the other confirmants, will we need to have a, a verse, a Bible verse? That we don't. So for adult confirmation, we don't typically do a confirmation okay. verse. Okay. Gotcha. Um, and we uh, you won't have for for junior high confirmation. We do like they have to write an essay statement of faith, and and um, I'm gonna. They have exams and things they have to take. Um, but you you guys don't have to do that. You can still do like a public. Question and answer. Yes, so we still do a public question and answer, but they're no, no, they're I mean, not confirmants. Oh no, I don't do that. Uh, okay. <laughs> I well, I'm I'm actually kind of bringing back a version of it, but it's not going to be in front of the whole congregation. It'll be um, like friends and family that they invite, um, and it and and yeah, because part of the reason confirmation has has lost some of its luster is it's it was meant to be. In, in part a rite of passage mm-hmm. and if you make rites of passage too easy they don't really do anything um, so there's a little challenge but the challenge is for growth um, but you guys don't have to do that that portion of the program so Anna had to do some of that yeah, um, I, had a, I had to read a whole speech to the congregation yeah. I think my grandfather picked my verse your verse yeah yeah I be I can I can certainly pick a verse for you if you'd like one, um, but it's not a formal part of the program. So when, when um, we got confirmed, we didn't know what the questions were going to be. Then they started printing the <coughs> questions well, with I mean, the answers. It's just in here. Yeah, but they didn't know. I mean, uh, Beth yeah. Kanick was her great grandfather, right? And uh, he's who confirmed us. And, oh, okay. Yes. He, he was tough. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, so so historically, in the in the Lutheran Church, was already said when you were confirmed, it was junior high. Now, now that's happening, and not it's mostly still junior high in most churches, but um, some of them are moving it earlier. Uh, but at the end of it, historically, you had what was called a questioning, which was typically done in front of the congregation, and you were the pastor asked you the questions to. Because the catechesis is a method of teaching that is question and answer, right? Uh, and so at the end of a lot of the stuff in here, the question is asked, what does this mean? And so if you're, you were a confirmant, I had, I had to be questioned. I was questioned in front of the congregation. And they say, okay, what's the first commandment and its meaning? And then you were asked to recite those in front of the congregation. Um, so, uh, so it was tough. And a little scary, but it's also like then you realize, hey, I can do stuff like that. It was awesome because then you really were an adult member of the church. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I still have most of most of it memorized. So, um, so this is this is the the big day here. Um, one of the things we'll do, we're not going to do it today, but probably next time, I'm going to kind of just we're just going to look at the questions that you're going to be asked on the twenty sixth. So we're beginning a bit with the, the end in mind, um, so you can kind of see where this is going, um, and that's kind of the, the, the purpose of the class here. Um, the other thing that I'm going to share with you is actually, so you're going to be able to get, uh, um, I guess I should specify worship services here. Um, 
The format of the class is actually going to be centered around the liturgy of the divine service. So that's going to kind of do the order of where we're going to teach all this stuff because that's what all of you are currently experiencing. So it'll ground what we're teaching, what you're learning about, and our doctrine with something you're already actually participating in and doing. Okay? Um, and so, for example, next week, once we're done with our general introduction stuff today, we're going to start with the invocation and the name of God and what the name of God means. Right? And so we'll be talking about things like baptism, because in baptism, God places his name on you. And why does everybody, why do half the people at the church make the sign of the cross? Or why did I have to make the sign of the cross when I was a Catholic and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, because most of what you're asking here is answered, believe it or not, in the Sunday service. Um, and a big focus here that I'm taking at Ascension is an invitation to a deeper understanding of, of Sunday morning service um, and what's, what's really happening there, right? Because uh, in our country... There's a big evangelical influence. Now, the word evangelical just means, um, it comes from the Greek word for good news, oi angelos, right, good message. Um, but it's now basically it means general mainline Protestant is what evangelical means. So like non-denomination, Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, etc. Right? Um, and... Uh, they're, they have been extremely influential, particularly in the United States, on the general Christian understanding of worship. Right? So most of, if you do a blended service, most of your modern Christian songs are written by these, this crowd here. Some of them very good. Some of them, from our theological perspective, not so good. Right? Um, and that's why we don't, don't sing some of them. Um, but their general sense about what worship is has, has kind of blurred into ours in a way that I think causes some confusion and so we're going to be going through the worship in order to uh, clear that up okay uh, mainly in terms of if I ask you just uh, we won't get into this today obviously but if I ask you what is worship what's the first thing that comes to your mind God okay God yeah but answering the question of what is worship right singing uh, yeah. Prayer. Yeah. yeah, singing, prayers, the stuff that we're doing up there, right? And for Lutherans, that's actually, that is part of worship, but that's the secondary part. The primary part is actually not stuff we're doing, but stuff that God is doing. Um, and, and so we're going to be kind of going through that kind of uh, aspect of what worship is about. Uh, so this question will get answered for you through the course of the class. Any questions about any of what I've said so far? <laughs> um, the only thing I had a question, I, you know that when I'm leaving the church, there's this four banners, maybe five. One is evangelize or... Oh, you're talking about in the back of the sanctuary? Yeah. That's from before my time. I have no idea what that's for. So there's no relation to evangelism and our church? Well, I mean, evangelism as a concept, there is. I mean, evangelism is the basic call of the Christian church. Evangelism is just telling people about Jesus. Right? So, I mean, we are, when, when you do your, your questions and answers for becoming a new member, we're going to be welcoming you into, as a member of the Evangelical Lutheran Church is, is the, the old term for our church body. Um, 
We don't typically call ourselves that anymore because that's what the ELCA is, and we have some serious disagreements with that denomination of Lutheranism. Um, but we're all evangelical. So that's what I've meant by the basis of this word is good news. So an evangelical is somebody who shares the good news of Jesus. That's, that's the basic understanding of that word. Um, but now in our culture, it, it has a little bit more of a specific meaning. And we'll, we'll kind of parse that out a bit. So good question. Um, okay, any other questions? Well, you said that something about the hymns. People wrote the hymns. You like some and some you don't. Yeah. Well, it's, so it actually isn't about whether I like them or not. Some of the hymns that I don't think are appropriate in our worship service, musically, I actually really enjoy them. And if you listen to them on the radio or, or that, they're fine songs. Um, but when we get into this discussion of like what our understanding of worship is different from the people who wrote those songs. And so some of the words that are used teach things that we disagree with. And that's the reason. So whether it's a hymn from our hymnal book, because there are some not good hymns in there, um, or a new Christian contemporary song, it's evaluated by the same standard. Right, so uh, one common example is if a song is saying, um, like, I love, I worship, I surrender, right, um, all this kind of stuff, right? If the song, the main subject of the song doing all the work is I, we typically don't sing it in our churches because we don't believe that we're doing the main stuff of worship. Like a closer walk with me. No, I yeah. So, like, if you're the if you're the subject doing the action, so because um, not to get too far down the rabbit hole on this today, but um, songs are actually prayers or praises to God, right? And so, what we don't prayer we don't pray about or praise is our worship. That's a weird thing to do. Right? It's a weird thing to say, like I'm praising about how much I love you. Instead of our our prayer, our praise should be about how much He loves us, right? So it's a different direction, um, and so like you'll notice, like today, like the Lord is my salvation, right? Um, glory to God. Those are all statements where we're really kind of passive, and God is the object of adoration, not like my response to God. More of a humbler thing. Yes. Well, and, it's and positional. It's positional, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's positional. So when, we, when you come to worship, and actually positional is a good way to describe it because you can even see it in the physical positioning of the worship space. What's the center of the worship space up there? The altar. The altar. Right? So everything in the room is pointing you towards the altar. Right? And so that, that lets you know right away that this is about what happens there. Whereas if you go to a typical like non-denominational evangelical church, what's at the center of the room? A big screen. Yeah. A big screen, or <laughs> it's the or the band or the pastor up on the stage, right? Yeah. And in our in our church body, the service isn't about any of those things. There there are parts of the service they have their their place, but it isn't as the purpose that we're gathered. Right? Um, and so. So that, that'll be part of what comes out and what we talk about uh, going through the class as we go through each piece of the worship service. 
you'll be able to see that in action. Learn something already. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Is that why it's not in our hymnal? So, yeah, I mean, blessed assurance is, that one's a, so there are a couple of hymns that, if they're sung in the context of our service, they can go with what we're teaching. Um, they're kind of, uh, they can be taken multiple ways, so they don't use a lot of really specific language. So blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, doesn't really like describe how he's yours, how did that happen, when did it happen, what did he do, what did you do, right? And so it's sort of malleable. Um, Lutherans in the LCMS, we don't typically like malleable things, especially public practices, because they can be interpreted in a bunch of different ways, some of which we don't think are good, right? Um, because when we say Jesus is mine, do we mean that we like own him or possess him, right? We would say, of course, well, no, that's silly, but I can't assume people know that when we sing that in a public setting, right? Um, so that and that's so that's another one of the criteria, right? I sort of the crass way I put it is if I can substitute boyfriend or bacon for Lord, it's probably not a very good song because it needs the context of the service. Otherwise, you don't know what it's really talking. about. But to go back to what you said earlier, it's not nefarious. No, it, right? They're, exactly. They're fine songs. Yeah. They're slice of life songs. They're they're great to listen to to keep yes. you thinking about spiritual things during yeah. the week. Yeah. They just don't fit in the worship service. Yeah. So so one of the things we'll talk about. It's a great point. Is that for music in our church, you have the divine service, where music has a very specific purpose. Right, and then you have the rest of life, where it can have many purposes. And so in the rest of life, there's plenty of those songs that they're great to listen to, right? They, they get you to think about God. They're having you focus on certain things, right, that are, are edifying and good. But in the worship service, they don't fit the narrower purpose of music in the worship service, in the divine service. And we'll talk about why that is. So, yeah, so it's good to clarify. I'm not saying those are, they're not bad, but they become bad in the context of divine service because they can teach you against what this is trying to teach you. In that sense, Does that make sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good questions. Um, so, what we're going to start with today is a basic introduction to the Christian faith. So, square one. So, if you got your catechism, you can open up your catechism to page forty-three. But I'm going to read the stuff out loud that we're going to talk about. Um, so page 43. So this is the very beginning of the explanation section. Um, so we're getting into kind of the basic introduction to Christian faith. So what is the Christian faith? And here's, here's the answer from our catechism. The Christian faith is the confession that Jesus Christ is the world's only Savior and Redeemer. Okay? So the Christian faith is baseline, what do Christians believe? Not We haven't yet gotten to what's particular about us, but what's the Christian faith? That's the basic stuff, right? That's the thing that saves you, is faith in him, right? So what, so what that does is that establishes a foundation for our conversations about what's unique about us, where we're not saying that because we do this and they don't, they're doomed to hell, okay? What we're talking about more is like a good, better, best, where it's like if you have a relative who wants to give you $1,000 and instead you're only taking 100 
you're still getting part of what they're trying to give you, but they want to give you more that you're not getting, right? And so, so that, that's maybe a better way to think about it, right? That um, we're not saying that Baptists don't go to heaven. We're saying they're missing out on some of the good stuff that God wants to give them, right? Um, and so our goal with all of that good stuff is this invitation to receive from God what he really wants to give you, Okay. Um, and so the way this is formatted there, if you have it, you can see that there are scripture support underneath that. So those are all verses where, like, we'll, we're not just going to state a conclusion that this is what the Christian faith is. Well, how do we know? But here's where the Word of God attests to that. So one of those verses is John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right? So what's one of the things about this statement that tells us um, from John 14. So the Christian faith is a confession that Jesus Christ is the world's only Savior and Redeemer. What does that tell us? Just on that basic level. That it's true. <laughs> That's what's true. What are we saying is true? Okay, so we got Jesus, right? He's we got to believe in him. Uh, who is he? Son of God, okay. Does God have multiple sons? No. The only son. Okay, so the word only there is important, right? And, and then in the scripture there from John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So one of the things we're confessing as Christians is there's not many different ways to God. There's one, and that's Jesus, right? Um, so that, that's a key component there. And then we describe what Jesus does. How does, he, how does he do that? Well, he's our Savior and he's our Redeemer. And then we're going to get more into what exactly that means. Um, one of the cool linguistic connections to that is the first name for the practitioners of the followers of Jesus was called the way, which is indicative of that singular sort of scandalous aspect of Jesus is that it's, he's the only one that gets you there. Um, and so they were called the way. They were, the term Christian didn't come up until uh, later in the city of Antioch. So, um, so okay. So if, if that's our confession of faith, then the next important question is, who's Jesus? So if Jesus is, is the, the source and, and object of the Christian faith, who is he? Right? Um, so who is, who is Jesus? Son of God, right? True God, true man. True God and true man, right? Uh, true God and true man. Now, most of the controversies, heresies, and major disagreements in the early church all the way up to today are about this question of who is Jesus. There were people that believed he was just a man who lived a perfect life and became God. There were people that believed that he wasn't really a man. He was just in the form of a man, and he was always just God, right? Um, but the church got together, and they dealt with, with those, those ideas, and they talked them through, and they believe what Scripture taught about Christ and what he taught about himself was that he was fully God and fully man. Um, and if we look at the plan of salvation that God enacts through Christ, these are both necessary elements. Right? So uh, why do you think he would need to be true God? There are false ones, huh? Because there are people, false ones, or people trying to. Okay, this is more specific than that. So, 
Why do you think he needs to be a fully God, not just partially God or sort of God? Because like, yeah, man can't do it. Right. Today's sermon today, right? right. Are you good enough? No. no, right? So man can't do what needs to be done in order to redeem man, right? Because that's what he's come here to do is to redeem mankind, right? So if, can he redeem mankind if he's not really a man? He took on our sins, so he, he had to become a man. Yeah, he, he can't do that, right? Because there has to be an atoning sacrifice for the sins of man by man. So we have this combo of, well, he has to do something that men can't do, but a man has to do it in order for it to be redemptive for mankind. We're in a little bit of a conundrum there, right? Um, and so this is one of uh, the mysteries of faith um, one of the mysteries of faith is that Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time. And if you ask me how, I'll say, no idea. He's God. Right? Um, so a mystery is different from a secret. Once you learn a secret, it's no longer a secret. Once you learn a mystery, it remains a mystery. Right? And we've got a couple of those that they'll come up in the class. Uh, as we go along. So any questions about that particular point on Jesus? So we have some scriptures here for that one as well. John 17, 3. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And Matthew 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So the reason that Matthew 28 is in there is he tells him to baptize them in the name of the triune God. So he puts himself with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Right? So fully divine um, and fully man. Okay. Um, let's see here. What is a Christian? A Christian is someone who, by the power and work of the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, believes in and confesses Jesus as Savior and Lord. Through baptism, a Christian is adopted into the Father's family, the church. Okay, we're going to read the we're going to read all of these scriptures here. Um, so let's see, Vicky, you want to read the Romans eight verse fifteen one there? Mm-hmm. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Okay, uh, Romans ten, Anna. The next one there. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Okay. Um, Larry, you want to read the First Corinthians 6? And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Okay, and then First Corinthians 12, 3, Therefore... I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So, this is beginning to answer this question. We believe that faith is not a choice made by a free will. So, that's why we believe that faith is not a choice made by free will. Okay? So we believe that the beginning of your faith or the answer to the question, why do you believe in Jesus, isn't that I read the Bible and I was convinced and I believed. 
It's not a rational thing. Which is why we teach that when you go out and evangelize people, you can't convince somebody else to believe in Jesus. All you do in evangelism is you share his word with them. right? Because, as it says here, right, a Christian is someone who, by the power and work of the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, believes in and confesses Jesus as Savior and Lord. So faith is a gift from God via the Holy Spirit. Um, And this is manifested, we'll be talking more about these in the further classes, um, through what we believe God has given the church, are called the means of grace, the things he's given the church to give to others on his authority and from him that work the Holy Spirit's work in them. So baptism, communion, and the word of God are those means of grace. Because St. Paul teaches that faith comes by hearing the word of God. But the hearing of it is what creates the faith, not being convinced by its contents. And that's there's a supernatural difference there. So uh, it's kind of tricky, but a good way to remember it is if somebody ever asks you, why do you believe in Jesus? The, the simple answer is because I was given faith by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. That's why I believe. I don't believe because I read a bunch of stuff and decided, you know, Jesus is my guy, that makes the most sense, that's why I believe. Because what that does is it turns faith into a human work. And then you can no longer have any confidence in it. Because rather than it being something that God does to and for you, it's something you're doing for yourself. You're, you're creating the faith. You're initiating the relationship. So sometimes I like to think of it in terms of uh, it's like you're trying to tell the king of the universe, you know what, I approve of you, I like you, you can come on in. doesn't work that way when you talk to the king of the universe, right? When you meet, you don't meet on your terms, you meet on his. Right? Um, now, the joy of the church is that he's given us his terms and he's given us his gifts to make those terms a reality. And so baptism, when a baby is born, he commands us to baptize, and he gives us the name of God. And so he promises that when we do that, he is working through that through his Holy Spirit to do exactly what he promises. Right. So in that instance, the pastor, I'm just hands and a mouth. I do nothing other than what he asks me to do. I'm the instrument by the means of which he does the work. Where's the turning point, though? I was baptized, but then by my own faith, I believe, and I've you know taken in the Holy Spirit. I believe that has power over me. But is there is there an age where the baptism isn't working anymore that you have to make that decision? Sure. Um, no. So. So we. That's why. Like. So churches that believe that don't baptize babies. They they have an age of accountability, which is what you're asking yeah. about, because they believe that baptism is their public confession of faith to God and we don't believe that's what baptism is we believe baptism is God's public confession of faith to you so you have that for life yeah so it's and so the state that you're in doesn't really matter right because it's not you doing the work it's God doing the work to you so whether you're two months or 97 like that's part of what he means when he says that you are to receive the kingdom of God as a little child Right. Um, and notice here in the uh, 1 Corinthians 6 passage, what's happening is 
it's all we're passive, right? If you look at the words here, it says, "But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ." So we're passive. We're the object that's being acted upon by God. And so in baptism, we are the object of God's action. In this case, claiming you as his own, washing you of the forgiveness of your sins, and making you his child. Um, So the adoption image is a helpful one because the child in question doesn't get to choose the adoption. It's, It's the parents. So in this case, your heavenly father is the one who has the authority to bring you into his family, and that's what he's doing. When you say the adoption, is that when people say you should have a date when you came to Christ and and accepted him as your Savior? So in our church body, that is the day of your baptism. So that's why we have a certificate that we give you that has it recorded there. There are witnesses to it. Those are your sponsors. And the church that conducts it... Those are, those are what are called the official acts of the church. We keep records of that. So if you're, um, you're in your 80s and you've lost your mind and you pass away and your kids don't know whether or not you were baptized, but they know where you went to church, they can call that church and say, I'm pretty sure my mom was baptized, but we don't know for sure. Do you have any record of that? We can pull it up and say, yep, she was baptized on August 5th, 1937, and this is the person who did it, and here are her sponsors. What about the people that say that you're, as an infant, well, I know the answer to this. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Ask it anyways, but, though. It's a good question. Yeah, you're an infant, and you really don't know about Christ. Yeah. But he said even, you know, if the infant stones would know. Right. So, but, that, but that's a good question, because what we're, really, what we're really talking about here is, like, faith is a supernatural gift. Mm-hmm. But you hear that argument a lot. Yeah, yeah, because in our culture, that is not the common understanding of faith. The common understanding of faith is it's my decision to believe. That's what most people practically think faith is. Right? And what we're saying is faith is a fundamentally different thing. It's a supernatural gift from God. So your cognitive ability is not a part of that equation. Like, whether you want it or not, I gave you this for Christmas. Whether you could understand what the gift was fully at the time or you didn't understand 10 years later, I still gave you the gift. It was mine to give, right? And so we understand that that is what faith is from God to us. It's the gift he is giving us, and then it is, and it's continually given, right? And we'll get into some of that later on. And there is biblical justification for that, too. Yeah, that family, full families were baptized. Yes. The, yeah. You know, yeah. So, uh, and, and you go all the way back to the Ten Commandments, Commandment Number Four: Honor your father and your mother. The basis for that is your father and mother were placed there by God to occupy that position in your life, and so they are able to um, speak with the authority of God on matters like this when you are unable to answer for yourself. Now, if um, some of you have like grandkids that aren't baptized yet and you'd like them to be baptized. If you smuggle them away from their parents and ask me to baptize them, I won't do that because you don't have the authority to do that. Only their parents do. But if they're 12 and their parents are preventing them from being baptized and they come to me and they say, I want to be baptized, then I will baptize them because they can speak for themselves. Right? Um, and believe it or not, I've encountered those situations. And in the one situation I experienced, once I found that out, I never saw him again. 
Yeah, I'm go so ahead. Sorry. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> this is why they call it confirmation and not conversion day or something. Correct. Else. Yeah. Correct. Right. Because you're confirming your baptism. Correct. Yeah. So you are you are confirming that God has indeed given you the gifts he gave you in your baptism. And that's one of the first questions that we'll go over next week that you're going to be asked um, on February 26th is, do you believe that God gave you these gifts in your baptism when you were baptized, right? Um, and part of that is the gift of faith, okay? So that is kind of the core piece of the Reformation that really sets Lutheranism apart from other Christian confessions is uh, evangelicals kind of talk like us on the front end that Christ alone saves you, but then they make everything they teach about your proper response to that, and if you don't have the proper response of faith, it, it's not really real, right? We don't talk that way, right? We encourage you to do the same sort of things that they talk about, right? Because they're good things to do, like be in the scriptures and do, do like kind things for other people and, and you know, give to charity and give of service and all that stuff. But we never will say that the proper doing of that determines whether or not you're a child of God because faith is a supernatural gift. And the reason we keep that so separated is as soon as you start to turn any part of your salvation into a deed that you must do, you no longer have the peace and the promise of the gospel. Uh, so the image that I've, I've used for a long time is imagine your relationship with God is represented from a chain from your chest to him. And if you're responsible for forming even one link in that chain, then it doesn't connect. So it doesn't matter whether you're responsible for 70% or 1%. If you are, then you never have the, the sure and certain hope that we have when we believe that Jesus did the whole thing. Right? Uh, because, like today in, in Romans 3, right, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if salvation is up to me, we're all not going to make it. Right? Um, so that, that begins to answer this basic question here. Um, that's part of our uniqueness. Now, if you've been here for a while, you may be so familiar with that that you don't realize that that's not the way everybody else talks at their Christian churches. Um, and, and sometimes they will talk that way. Um, that you, once you start, like one of the things you'll start to notice once you get the idea of faith as a supernatural gift, um, like my wife and I just went to a Casting Crowns concert, and you'll start to recognize, like, well, wait a minute, they just said how God is in control, and that he saved me, and then in the next sentence they're saying, so choose to follow him. Right? And, then it's, and then it's sort of this weird mix of like, well, wait a minute, he said he's in charge, but if he's in charge, then how am I making the decision about whether or not he and I are together? Right? And so there's a weird contradiction there. Now, the other reason that that's helpful is you can also understand that maybe they got off on the wrong foot, but that doesn't mean they have the wrong understanding totally. Right? So that's one of the dangers as well. As you can say, well, that person's decision theology, they think it's their job, and they're, they're just lost. It's like, well, no. I mean, they, maybe they think they're the ones that initiated contact, even though it was the other way around. But now that they're in, they seem to have a good grasp that he's the one doing the stuff, and I'm the recipient of that. You know, that's possible too. So the reason we teach against that, though, is that it can lead you to putting way too much pressure on yourself about salvation stuff 
that you can't possibly live up to. And then you just get crushed by the law. Well, okay, we're a little over time, so um, let's go ahead and close with that. Next week, um, we'll be talking about the beginning of the divine service, the name of God, and baptism kind of entrance into the Christian church. So let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Have a great week, guys.